Hey, everyone. John Moe here. Before we get started, I just wanted to thank you, first of all, for all the support, all the messages that you've been sending out to us about uh, how much you like the show. It's great. It means a lot to us. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that depression can take a lot of different forms with a lot of different people. I mean, just in recent weeks, Gary Gullman, Amy Mann, John Green, all these people, it just it's different for everybody. We have a lot that we want to cover on the show. We want to reach out to a lot of different people and get as many stories as we can. Your gift to the hilarious world of depression can bring more candid conversations to light. You can support this show that uh, you've told us that you love and that you listen to and that you really count on. Make your gift by clicking the donate button at hilariousworld.org. You can contribute any amount today. It's going to help us make more and more shows. Hit the donate button at hilariousworld.org. Thanks. Is depression funny? I don't think it's funny, uh, but I think it inspires people, certain people to be funny. Something wrong with me, I got a sadness I can't shake now. Is there something I can't take now? It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. On this program, I talk to funny people who have dealt with the disease of depression, aka Clinny D. I've dealt with it myself, and it's been complicated, but my life is otherwise pretty simple. I'm this guy. I live in the Midwest. I like sports and jokes and music. I've pretty much always been able to live my life and be myself around people. I've never had to pretend to be someone I'm not. For other folks, it's not so simple. My name is Patty Harrison, and we are currently in uh, New York City, New York, in, in Midtown. Patty Harrison is a 26-year-old comedian. She's only been in comedy for a couple years, but she's getting noticed. She's a rising star because she's really funny. She's also getting noticed because she's transgender. She appeared on The Tonight Show a few months back to talk about the proposed transgender ban in the military. Now, I don't necessarily want to serve in the military, but I want the right to serve. You know, it's like, I don't want to go to your baby shower, but I want the invite. <laughs> Her appearance was funny in a mild, accessible, Jimmy Fallon kind of way. Patty's comedy normally gets a lot weirder. In this video on Previously.tv, she meets a squirrel monkey named Tarzan. Do squirrel monkeys have the ability to vape? Uh, that I don't think they can do. Con. Grandma, right before she passed, she grabbed my hand and she said, Patty, if it has thumbs, it can vape. And then she went, and we couldn't afford to give her a service. So we rolled her off the overpass into the parking lot of the Checkers. And she came back to life, and she rolled through the drive-thru, and she got a big Buford. And then she ate the big Buford, and we were all cheering her on. But then her bed kept rolling, and she went back onto the overpass, and she was struck by two Yaris's. And then she passed. Thank you for listening to me, Tarzan. Bro, monkeys are instruments of chaos. Patty grew up in a small town in Ohio, raised as a boy. Her mom emigrated from Vietnam. Her dad was from Detroit. He died of a heart attack when she was six. Patty had an older brother who died in a car accident when she was four. 
For Patty, her sisters, and her mom, comedy was a valuable tool. Humor was definitely a way to be like, after mom would have a meltdown, we'd all just kind of be like, wasn't that crazy? And we'd all like laugh about it and stuff. So it would definitely, I think, formed initially as kind of a coping me- mechanism. Mechanism. A coping mechanism. Um, I'm not going to correct myself. And... Uh, Lean that's in. the Ohio term for mechanism. <laughs> yeah, that's how people in Ohio country clubs say mebanism. <laughs> I can't even say it in the way you're saying it. I can only say mebanism. Patty would require more coping mebanisms once depression showed up. She would stay home from school and just cry all day. She developed eating disorders, would stare into the mirror and hate what she saw. And she got no help, since in the town she was in, getting help meant you were crazy. And Patty knew there was something else going on. I definitely knew, like, as a child that I was, like, queer. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the word queer or what that meant other than, like, smear the queer. Uh, But uh, I knew that I was, like, something was wrong. You identified it as wrong, right? Yeah, that it was bad. Uh, And that— When did that start? That started, like, before my dad died. That was, like, I remember I would, like, run around in, like, Daisy Dukes and, like, a shirt on my head as, like, hair. And, like, Uh just, like, put on a bunch of lipstick. And everyone in my family thought it was, like, really funny. Like you were doing fraternity drag skit or something. Yeah, like a National Lampoon uh, sensibility. Right. But uh, I still, like, could perceive that it was wrong. I don't think my dad really cared. He was just like, okay, well, this probably means something. But it was never, there was never, like, anger about it. But it definitely was, like people laughing at me for it and then that's I think I kind of sense that like oh this is a funny thing because it's like bad like I shouldn't be doing it so then it was like that kind of like feeling sat with me for a long time were you doing it to get laughs I don't think initially but I think I leaned into it hard when it was like oh people think this is funny this is like an acceptable way to do it but i also felt like cool and good uh that we have like a ton of pictures of me as a child and i have like a like a, a leopard cat or like cheetah print scarf like silk scarf around my tied around my head and i have like lip liner on because my sisters like did my makeup like a, a 90s uh, teen girl would do makeup, which is like a dark brown lipstick with like really heavy, thick lip liner, and then like a beauty mark, like a Cindy Crawford beauty mark, and like tortoise shell glasses. Uh, yeah, I think I loved it. There was shame about that though, like throughout my childhood, and like it was definitely something that I didn't know how to address, so I kind of like put it off. As she grew up, Patty kept her depression in check. Couldn't get rid of it, but could cover it up. She used her sharp sense of humor to make friends and avoid bullies and just carried this weight of mental illness and a growing crisis of gender identity through junior high and on to high school. And things went well, kind of, in a sense. Not really. In high school, I hate to break it to everyone, but I was 
very popular. But not what's fucked up is it wasn't until like the end of my sophomore year when I started drinking alcohol and like I started to go to parties and stuff and like hang out with like kids that are perceived as cool, which I now realize are like 90% horribly dumb, empty people. Um, But that's like, I think when my social life took off and I started to like enjoy high school and like in a way where I think it's kind of a distraction, like just getting drunk all the time. It's like a distraction. Self-medication. Yeah. It definitely, like, affected my my grades and stuff. And, like, by my senior year, I was in this, like, applied math class that I think I got, like, a, a D in, which it's, like, applied math is, like, very easy math uh, because I, like, flunked out of algebra. Um, and I f- did feel, like, at that point that I was, like, what am I doing? Because mm. like, that's when I was, like... I would feel pangs of, like, I hate being, like, I hate being a young man. Yeah. I don't feel good in in any of this. Um, so it was like, well, at least I have a lot of friends, and they like me. So it was like seeking affirmation through that. But it's like, oh, maybe they like me just because I throw parties all the time. And they can, like, come and drink my mom's alcohol. Did people that you hung out with in high school know that you weren't really a young man? No. I think the first person that I came out to was after high school. And and there were, like, the, in high school there were, like, guys that I fooled around with when I was, like, drunk. But it was, like, then it wasn't spoken about ever again. Uh-huh. And then it was, like... So, like, at worst, people were like, maybe he's gay. Like, maybe he's gay. And they're like, no, but he's not because, like, he took Monica to prom. <laughs> it's, like, very... Uh, but he draws well. Yeah, and he draws really good. He's a great artist. I was like, if he's a great artist, it exclusively means that he is queer in some way. <laughs> After graduating, Patty came out, not as transgender, but as bisexual which was not true. She was not bisexual. But it felt like a more socially acceptable way of acknowledging this otherness that she felt. And then it was on to college at Ohio University, voted best party school in the country multiple times. She packed up her clothes, her books, her still-secret gender identity issues, drinking habits, some eating disorders, undiagnosed and untreated depression, probably some posters, and headed for campus. Uh, yeah, so I came out as gay to, like, people that I met in college, but not to, like, people back home. So it was, like, some people—I was coming out to, like, select people. And coming out as gay felt like the closest thing that I could get to uh, to, like, keep myself alive— and but not feel the shame of being like a tranny like that's what it felt there was so much like internalized transphobia um that i was like that i it was so shameful to be trans like that's i don't want to be that i don't want to be this like pervert this like sexual deviant uh 
and so you're it's bargaining a, with yourself at this point. Yeah, like it was like being being a trans person in my mind was like being a, a punchline because that's the only time I ever saw trans people were like in TV and movies and they're only used to comedic effect. I think a huge uh, like a huge moment for in like a shifting my perception of like transness and like kind of lifting the stigmas uh was watching Boys Don't Cry. That's a film starring Hillary Swank as a young trans man in Nebraska. Hillary Swank won an Oscar for it. Because it was like the the first time I'd seen like a trans person be shown with like humanity mm-hmm. and dignity and like someone who had like hopes and dreams. and And it was kind of like, oh, there's humanity to it, even though like... I've been told otherwise. How old were you when that movie, when you saw that movie? Uh, I think I was 20. Before that, I tried to kill myself and in my dorm. It was like the end of my freshman year. But I was like, I had gotten very depressed and I'd started to skip class and like, I was really sad. And then how I experienced depression was like, at first there was crying but then, like, there was a long time where it was just kind of, like, feeling indifferent and feeling, like, angry in a way. Like, a lot of, like, everything's, like, futile. Like, everything sucks. Everyone's bad. And it's, mm-hmm. like, there's nothing There's nothing of any worth here. And the stuff that is of, is of, of worth, like, people don't appreciate it. They just, like, destroy it. It was, like, all this, like, weird kind of, like, nihilist, like, teenage boy uh, angst. Like angst yeah. yeah. So was the attempt coming out of a feeling of just giving up on it all? It doesn't sound like it came from a moment of, of great passion. It came from a lack of passion. It was, it was kind of like giving up and then there was also a part of it that it was like I, I wanted to like show people like a fuck you in a way which is like terrible because I was very like I I mean obviously anybody who's entering a suicidal headspace is not in like a a clear clear eyed space of like thinking logically it wasn't for like one reason it was like there was a lot of compounding things that I was feeling where it was like this is this will make stuff easier for my family but also like fuck my family like it was really it was just like nonsense but I knew that I I hadn't like felt in a very dumb like cliche Lincoln Park sort of way I felt it was a numb like very numb uh, feeling of like oh is this how I'm gonna feel for the rest of my life there's no like there's no way out I'm never gonna be able to be happy uh, so and this is unbearable. Yeah. And then I tr- I tried to swallow, like, an entire bottle of aspirin. I, like, didn't do any research. I just, like, bought it from, uh, we had, like, dining hall markets, and I used my meal swipes to buy it. And I remember Game of Thrones was on, and I took it, 
and then I sat in my dorm. I'd, I'd eaten almost like two whole pizzas too. That was like what I had planned. My last meal was a shitty fucking like this shitty discount pizza place. But I didn't even get good pizza. I just got like two cheese pizzas. And I I took it. And then as soon as I, as soon as I felt like a, a turn in my stomach, which could have been like the pizza, it was like maybe a minute and 30 seconds in, I immediately ran and like made myself throw up and cried. I just like, like evacuated like, a yeah, lot of building. feelings. Yeah. I can't really describe it other than, like, I wanted to live. But, like, the way that they—I read something about people who jump from, like, the Golden Gate Bridge and people who have survived and, like, how they said immediately when their feet left the platform. There's, like, this regret that it's, like, no. It's, like, but it's, like, this kind of galvanizing uh, feeling. college career continued, but it slowly spiraled. Drinking, missing classes. Patty finally dropped out of school altogether. At no point did you say, this is depression? Because you might have come from this town in Ohio, but, I mean, surely by college you would know what depression was. Did you never consider that you had a mental illness? I know. No. I I mean, I think I, I did, but I, not in the capacity that I understand it now like I thought everything was kind of like temporary I was like oh well I felt happy before so that doesn't mean it's like stuff it's things that I can manage so like I'm not going to go talk to somebody about it like I'm still technically in school I'm still like feeding myself I haven't tried to kill myself lately so like that means I'm doing good uh and I don't need help uh and I was doing a really bad job. Like, I, yeah, I quit school. I went for four years, and then I quit. So she started talking to people about who she really was. She came out. And for those keeping score at home, came out for the third time. First as bi, which she wasn't. Then as gay, which she wasn't. And then finally as trans. I came out, and it was, like, incredible. It was not at all what I thought it was going to be. There were so many people who were... um, I know it sounds, I think it sounds like I'm about to cry, but I'm like working through a burp. (laughs) Um, Where were you when you came out? Where were you living? I was living on campus still. Uh, I was working at a children's latchkey program. uh, And there was a moment when, so it was like a latchkey program throughout the school year. And then over the summer, it was a camp. It was like an all day summer camp. And one of the kids was. Uh, one of the kids came up to me. She's like in third grade. She's like, um, this other student, they're like, he told me he thinks you're gay. And I was like, okay, like, thanks for telling me. And then I let my, like the coordinators and the supervisors of the program know. And there was like this big, blowout because the person who ran the program was like, I think it's inappropriate. I don't think you should address it. I don't think that's, it's it's not appropriate to talk to a child about. And then my supervisor, like, 
started to cry and was just like, this is fucked up. Like, this is, there are statistically queer kids in this camp. And for them to see, like, an openly queer adult who is, like, functioning uh, and, and from what they can see uh, would be, like, insurmountably valuable and, in, like, them building self-esteem around these feelings they're dealing with that they're afraid to talk about. And she was like, I think you have to tell him. And I, I was like, I don't even know if I could tell this kid, like, I'm gay. Because I was like, it felt so weird saying I'm gay at that point because I was like, I don't feel that at all. That's not what I am. Coming up, Patty Harrison begins her life with a gender identity that feels truthful. But mental illness won't go down without a fight. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illness. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe demystifying it a little bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves. Depression is a serious disease. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. It can be an awkward conversation, mental illness, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use. What to say, what not to say and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, or other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org. You can take the pledge right there to make it okay. Thank you so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Hi, I'm Patty, and welcome to Patty Reviews Exotic Animal Edition. I'm here with Nick. Nick, what the f- is this thing? Shut it up! This is Giggles. Oh my god! Now, why is her name Giggles? Oh, because they're called the Laughing Kookaburra, and her call sounds like laughing. What kind of jokes do you think makes this bird laugh? Uh, wouldn't take much. Racist jokes? Sure, racist jokes. This is from Patty Harrison in a video for the website Seriously.tv. She's reviewing a bird. Do you suggest this baked or fried? Baked, Patty, baked. Hell yeah. I was going to say baked, too. Like, maybe with a little ketchup. I have this amazing family recipe that's been passed down from my grandma. She gets, like, two chicken breasts, right? She puts it on a pan. Then she puts ketchup on it, right? And then she puts it in the oven. She doesn't turn the oven on. She just crawls into the oven and then um, eats the chicken ketchup in there. She's dead. Before that cooking segment, we were talking about how Patty had begun opening up to people about being transgender. And I also want to say that, like, my experience, it was, like, such a weight off my rockin' huge tits uh, to come out. And But I know that there are a lot of queer people that don't have that experience. Like, there are people that can't come out for, like— safety reasons like they would be physically endangered by like people in their town or their family uh or they would be safe environment yeah i was very lucky and that's what i didn't think i i didn't think i was in a safe space is the thing it's like i thought going back home to like the rural town in ohio that i was in that i would be like uh i would 
be like dragged. I thought I was gonna I was like in for it. Um and I also have to say that I'm in a conditionally different situation where I do have conditional privilege and that I was always very like feminine and like effeminate and androgynous. So I could like walk down the street and I like be regarded as this passing. Uh, and that made it like insurmountably easier for me to adjust. Mm. Because again, like there, everybody's experience is different, um, and I know like trans women who have faced like horrific shit. I mean, there are so many trans women, like even in New York, like especially like this year. I think there's like it changes every time I read about it. I think we're at like seventeen trans women of color who have been murdered. In New York City? In the United States. In the United States. Uh, and they're all they're all women of color. Like, it's it's terrible, and it doesn't get any kind of, ma- like, mainstream media coverage. Um, so I, I have to make an explicit point to check that I do have privilege in that sense. That, that like, I can sit around and be like, I actually had an amazing experience, so everybody should come out. Like, no, I understand. Like, do what you need to do. But know that there are people who are, like, on the internet <laughs> that you can reach out to that, like, if you feel trapped. What did telling that truth to the world do to your mental health? It was really incredible in that it kind of rejuvenated my my sense of, like, having a life trajectory. Because after, before that happened, I was like, my, I couldn't see a future. Like, I couldn't see what I was going to do in any, in any way. I, could, I was like, there's, like, no options. That's it's what it felt like. That's the, um, the same unbearable uh, future that led to your attempt, probably. Yeah. So after that, it was like, oh, this is not only something that, like, people in my life tolerated. It was something that they, like, celebrated. But after that, then comes all of these other things of, like, because I came out to a couple people, and then I came out to my family, and then I, like, posted on social media to, like, my Facebook friends. And there's, like, a weird combination of shit. Like, just people who are trying to be helpful but ultimately are, like, making you feel terrible. I remember someone commenting on, like, the first photo I ever posted of myself where I was, like, presenting female. And she was like, you need to do something about your man eyebrows. You look like a man still. And that, like, she said it in, like, a playful way, but it like throttle it like threw me, and I was so upset, and I like deleted the photo, and it like because it's this point where like before before you come out before you transition, like I was always staring at myself in the mirror, like and with like like body dysmorphia and the sense of like I was like staring at myself so long for so long and so often I like couldn't tell what I was looking at anymore like I really couldn't like see anything anymore that in the sense of like I can't tell what I really look like because I've just like 
nitpicked like every single part, like inch of my face and of my body. So like going into this good place and then immediately people being like, oh, if you want to be a woman, you need to stop dressing so dykey or like, and it's like, this is so toxic and bad for you to say to me. Like, and it felt, it made me like feel really terrible and made me even more introspective and like self-conscious it's just like, oh, I guess I'm like this weird kind of sensationalized monster, like Frankenstein monster sort of thing. And it was like trying to, I guess, rebuild and then like continue, carry on with life, but adjusting to like the new way that people look at you or the way people speak to you. That was like the worst depression that I've had because I moved home to, like, my childhood home in Ohio, and I stayed in my bedroom for, like, a full year. And I just, like, laid in bed all the time, cried a lot. So that's a twist. You kind of expect someone to come out, and if it's well-received, there are parties, and everyone smiles, and the movie is over. Except life isn't a movie, and depression is a disease, and mental illnesses don't tend to vanish suddenly. In high school, I started to become bulimic, and I was bulimic for six years um, up until I started to see therapy after or see a therapist after I came out. So there was like a lot of body image stuff in the time that I was just home by myself with myself all the time, like looking at myself and like picking like, okay, this is what I need to change. This is what I need to like do. Um, that during that period when I was just like very sad and like crying a lot and like not leaving bed when my mom was like, okay, I think we're reaching a point where maybe we should like see a therapist. This is kind of crazy. Now that you've been in bed for a year sobbing. Yeah. like Perhaps her, a red flag has been raised. Yeah. It was like this conversation of like. Why are you why are you in bed all day? And I was like, because I want to die, dumbass. And she's like, okay, well then we'll go to therapy. Yeah. Like, it was just like me being like, okay, dumbass. Like I was being, I never, I would never call my mom a dumbass. I'm joking, of course, but um, it was just like I'm more. I get in this like weird futile place when I'm like sad, or I'm like, it's like this anger cycle where I'm really sad and I'm depressed and I like spiral into all the horrible things and why I'm not good enough for this and why I'm ugly and why all this all these things and then it turns into like it's like no it's the world that's bad it's like fuck them and then it goes back to me being sad and I'm like oh no um uh so I did I went to a therapist and that was like life changing um because I also had to go to see medical professionals to get, like, my gender marker on my ID changed. So um, you have to get, like, signed off in Ohio at least by, like, three medical professionals. Mm. Um, or maybe it was because it was my doctor and then my therapist. I think it was three. My doctor, my therapist, and then the psychiatrist that I think she worked with. But What was so life-changing about the therapist? It was, like, it v- motivated me to get out of the house and eventually kind of build self-esteem enough to get a job. 
Um, and there were like, it felt really dumb at times because I was literally filling out these like work packets that she would give me that have like these cartoons in them, like these silly cartoons. And it's like, if you feel happy, draw a smiley face. If you feel sad, draw a frowning face. And I was like, this is so fucking stupid. There, but it was like there were a lot of like tools in it that I still use today that help curb me from like spiraling into like a depressive hole for days. Yeah. Uh, like there was this packet that was the ant packet. And it was automatic negative thoughts. The acronym was ANT. But the little cartoon was this little dumbass ant eater. But it was about, like, how to stop automatic thoughts from, like, linking together. Mm -hmm. uh, And just kind of, like, before letting your emotions kind of, like, go downhill, just kind of, like, assessing, taking a step out of yourself and, like, assessing the situation objectively and, like... Do, have you confirmed if you actually know that that's why? Have you asked the person why they did this? It's like, no. Then, like, this is invalid until— Trying to change the pattern. Yeah. And it, it helped, like, inv- it was invaluable. Every person's path to what works for their brain is different. For many lucky people, the answer is just go on living and everything's fine, tra-la-la. For some, it's meds, or a different kind of meds, or a combination of meds, or a new combination of meds. For Patty Harrison, it's becoming who she really is, and good therapy involving a dopey cartoon anteater. You just never know. Patty had been active in improv in college and had a teacher who had lots of connections in comedy. So he was coaching us for free, and then he kind of, like, got us more involved with people who were, like, living in Chicago or living in New York. And, like, like this is a—if you want to do comedy as a career, here's what you need to do. You, you need started to, to see a path to it. Yeah. It started to feel, like, tangible. And that's what—after school, I was like, oh, I'm either going to go to, like, Chicago or L.A. Um, and then I was like, oh, I have to come out or I'm going to go, like, crazy. So I came out, and then I was like, I can't do comedy as, like, a trans person. Because there's no trans people, like, visible, really, on, like, a mainstream scale. Um, And specifically in comedy, it's solely used as a punchline, as, like, Mm -hmm. a chick with dicks jokes. A chick with dicks. I always say a chick with dicks. She's multiple. Multiple Just all over her body. Like, they're growing out of her spinal column. Um, But... uh, It was very—I was like, oh, I can't do comedy, I guess. She was discouraged before even starting in comedy. But Patty had a friend who was more positive. She would, like, send me links to, like, these are, like, successful trans people. These are, like—and it was, like, she's like, no, you, like, have to come do comedy in New York. You have to come do here. This is, like, the place to do it. Um, So that was, like, very—also very helpful is to have people around me who were, like— it is possible. Uh, you just got to s- stop, like, listening to... Don't lead with, like, your apprehension. Right, <laughs> Lead right. your life through, like, a... <laughs> <laughs> Don't lead your life with that, I guess. So Patty Harrison came out one more time to New York. 
And this was just a couple years ago, 2015. Since then, she's appeared on The Tonight Show, Broad City, and Search Party on TBS, written up in The New York Times, Rolling Stone, Split Cider. Do you feel like you, you talked about how there weren't a lot of um, or there weren't any trans people in comedy as far as you knew? Do you feel like you carry that flag now? Do you feel like you you have to be an example or a role model? Well, I think that there I'm I'm definitely not the only one, but as far as like recent visibility goes, um I do think I'm like at not I'm I'm just like more visible, I guess. Uh, now, especially after like the Tonight Show, um, but it is in a way like frustrating to feel like I'm I must now be like an ambassador for the community because that's the shitty thing with any marginalized community is that like for the most part the the straight white cis community of people that engages with mainstream media has the attention span only to like, they're like, okay, so this is like a black person talking and they're talking about like black people stuff. So I'm going to give them uh, like a minute to talk. And then that's just what my perceptions of how all black people think is going to be for the rest of time. It It is stressful to be like, okay, so now I need to be, in a way, more thoughtful um, about the way, like, way that I speak or, like, what I choose to do. Because, of course, like, I want to be an advocate for the community. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like my aspirations comedically were never to do anything political, ever. Like, I want to, like I said, I want to make jokes about dogs with tits and, like, just dumb shit. Because, like, my life is always, at every minute of the day, a political, like, experience. Every interaction that I have walking out the door is, like... Hey, you're trans. Remember you're trans. Hey, like people reminding you that you're trans and that you are othered. It can be stressful when often I use comedy as kind of a conduit of like thinking about anything else. Like this is my time to like go on and feel a good feeling to talk about, you know, a turtle jacking off uh, and... Uh, and then I get to like make people make people laugh about that, and then I go home, and then I read about another trans person who's been murdered. Like it's a way to kind of massage the part of my brain that keeps me from like feeling like I'm gonna go crazy. Patty's success is well earned. She's super talented. I've been laughing loudly in my office putting this show together, and people have been walking by wondering what's going on. I also think there's a lot being placed on her right now some very difficult times with mental health in the not-too-distant past, and she's rapidly becoming a go-to comedian to represent transgendered people. And it all started with that Tonight Show appearance. But, you know, I don't even think Trump knows what transgender means. He probably thinks transgender people are those cars that turn into robots. Yeah, well, yeah. It might be, might be so. 
Uh, Patty, before the you piece go, that I did for The Tonight Show was very clean, and that was a huge moment of exposure for me that, like, changed my life for sure. Um, but with that came, like, people tweeting at me, like, oh, I just want to let you know, I thought uh, what you did was so nice, and that was great, and it was very inspiring that you stuck up to Trump because, like, all the coverage of that afterwards was, like, trans comedian slays Donald Trump. Like, watch trans comedian Patty clap back. It was, like, all these, like, I was, like, this is the most timid. I was, I felt like my piece was very timid. It wasn't, like, revolutionary or, like, incendiary in any way. Uh, But people would be like, I think that was so amazing and brave. Brave is a word that gets thrown around a lot, like uh, patronizingly yes. at uh, marginalized people a lot. But, uh, and then like a day later, like, I just went through your tweets and you're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, responding to like a tweet about like me decapitating a child. And it's like, why are you saying this? stop saying this and I'm like no I'm not gonna stop because that's the real me (laughs) it's like I'm not gonna ever cut a kid's head off but it's it's makes me laugh sometimes to think about but it's not because it's a specific kid it's because it's a um it's just this imaginary child who in my head's kind of a brat (laughs) so maybe he had it coming do we know no we don't know that's the fun of it what do you know about mental health now that you wish you knew a long time ago? There are patterns and that it's not just kind of random, random bad thoughts that will go away on their own, that there are patterns and cycles that like it will come back and it can be worse and there are ways to combat it and that it's an addressable thing, that it has a name. Uh, Just having a vocabulary in general of like, knowing what I think a big part of stress comes from like a nebulous thing or this like amorphous idea of something you haven't found a word for yet but you know it's like there and it's like ominous and it's kind of like affecting the quality of your life in a detrimental way so like just having a word for it sitcoms that would do well on Trump TV um, and uh, oh, don't groan, there's nuance here <laughs> um, so basically just a commercial that would play like the primetime lineup on like a Thursday night on Trump TV so uh, the first, and these are like the working titles and then I'll just read the conceit really quickly um, the first one, uh, this had an uh, two, like an alternate title so the first title was uh oh, now the son's the boss, and then alternately, oops, son boss. Um, the conceit is that a dad with a very successful multi-million dollar business hired his son to work at the office, and through nepotism, kept giving his son promotions, but accidentally gave him too many promotions, and now the son is the boss. Uh oh. Um, Congrats. Anyone with CBS? Anyone here? Um, the next one was Bald Eagle Concierge. Um, this was the conceit is a struggling hotel mogul gets the surprise of a lifetime when a bald eagle gets trapped in the lobby of his hotel. And they can't catch the eagle because the lobby is very big. 
But to the surprise of the hotel owner, the eagle actually begins to manage the hotel lobby in an effective and profitable way and really increase the quality of the hotel guest check-in experience. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Our technical director for this episode was Johnny Vince Evans. Thanks also to Nate Toby. Our recording engineer at the Marketplace Studios in New York was Sarah Bruguer. Our social media honcho is Christina Lopez. Our theme song is called Pagliacci. It was written and performed by our good friend Rhett Miller. Much more about Rhett is at his website, because that's why we have websites, rhettmiller.com. He is also the lead singer of the band Old 97s, and please go see them in concert if you can, for you will enjoy that experience. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, one 800 273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're standing by. They would love to talk to you if you need them. 1-800-273-8255. And that 8255 spells talk, so you can remember it easily that way. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. MakeItOK.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation about a topic like this can be awkward, but Make It OK has tips on what to say, what not to say. Get that conversation going. It has stories of hope from people who have been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. We're on Twitter at THW of D. That's THW of D. You can write to us at THWOD, THWAD, THWAD at AmericanPublicMedia.org. And we're on the World Wide Web with a website, HilariousWorld.org. Over at our Facebook page, we have links to some transgender resources, websites, hotlines, stuff for youth and families. Search us up on Facebook. You'll find us. You can also find the full-length versions of some of the clips we heard today. Patty visiting various animals and confusing the animal expert who brought them in. Other Patty clips there as well. Goof off a little and have a laugh, won't you, over at our Facebook page. On our next episode, Jeff Tweedy of the band Wilco recalls battles with depression, anxiety, and opioid addiction. And he recalls a very welcome trip to the hospital. They told me about a place in Chicago that has dual diagnosis uh, treatment, which is they treat your mental health issues along with your addiction issues. And uh, my reaction to that was, why has no one told me about this until just now? This is obviously, this makes so much sense. That's obviously what's been going on for fucking ever. And yes, please take me to there now. I'm John Moe. Bye now.